Good morning, church. What an awesome day that God has provided for us. Stand with us and let's sing and let's celebrate through song. Let's worship our Lord and Savior. Come on. Yes. Lord, I pray simply that you would have your way in this service today. That your name will be glorified in this place as we sing and celebrate. Waited for this day, we've gathered in your name, calling out to you. Your glory like a fire, awakening desire, will burn our hearts with truth.
Good morning, Southview. We are so excited and thankful that you chose to worship with us this morning. Here are your big three announcements for the week. Calling all ladies, we would love to have you join us Saturday, August 26th at 9 a.m. here at Southview for our Ladies of Grace breakfast. It's a wonderful time of fellowship. Text the word BACON to our number 910-424-1298. We'd love to have you join us. And this announcement is for everyone. Are you interested in growing in your knowledge and understanding and love for Jesus? Well, if so, and I can't think of a single person that wouldn't be, we've got some exciting news. Our equip classes are starting September 10th here at the church. You can go to our church website and look under adult ministries for more information about that. Or you can simply text the word equip to our number 910-424-1298 to find out more information. And if you are looking for a place to serve here at Southview, we've got the perfect opportunity. Our classes for three-year-olds through the fifth grade are looking for teacher assistants. So if that interests you, we would love to have you come alongside our kids and be a blessing to them. You can text the word SERVE to 910-424-1298. And hey, if you're looking for information about how to sign up for a journey group, how to get plugged in, find out more information about ministries, we would love for you to download the Southview Baptist Church app either on Google Play or iTunes. And there are two main ways that you can give here at Southview. One, through the app that I just mentioned, or in the giving boxes as you exit the sanctuary. And if you're a guest visiting with us this morning, we are so grateful and honored that you chose to be at Southview. If you would, please text the word CONNECT to 910-424-1298 and Pastor Brad will personally be reaching out to you and following up with you. We can begin to learn who you are and how we can minister to you and see how we can get you plugged into Southview. And thank you for worshiping with us this morning. Let's continue just to magnify the Lord as we worship in song. Amen. A lot of good things going on here. You guys stand again as we as we worship through song. Scripture says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Let's sing and celebrate these truths.
Romans chapter 8, verse 1 says, There is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the problem with that verse for many believers is that you don't really believe it. For many believers, we constantly put ourselves back into the court of judgment, you know? Minute by minute, hour by hour, we place ourselves back in front of the court because we deem ourselves unworthy. And again, the problem with that is that Christ has already paid for your sins. Past, present, and future. And Scripture clearly says, because this is true, why are you fearing? My soul, why are you anxious? God is for you and not against you. So when we sing these songs, church, my hope for you and for me is that we actually think about what we're singing. And we let these truths, not the song, but the Scripture, permeate our hearts and change who we are for Christ's glory. Have been saved for a purpose, bought with a price, and it is not your own. Your life is not your own. So let's sing and celebrate that fact that He is with you and He goes before you. The Lord is my shepherd, He goes before. See you. 
Jesus, we just thank you for your word. As we open it today, we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would speak so clearly and powerfully to us. We need you, Lord. We need you. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right. Hey, if you have a Bible, let's find Matthew chapter 18 together, all right? Matthew 18, if you're our guest with us today, uh, welcome to you. My name is Brad. I get the privilege of being the pastor here at Southview, and it's an honor to have you worshiping with us today. We're in a series this summer called I Love That Verse, and the idea behind it is we're just pulling out some really cool verses in the Bible, some really cool passages and verses in the Bible. They just leap off the page and speak to some really serious, important truths in our hearts and uh, things that are life-transforming. And so today, we're going to tackle the issue of unforgiveness. I, I firmly, with everything inside of me, believe unforgiveness is the most disastrous and destructive thing attacking the church of Jesus Christ today. I believe it's number one. Uh, False teaching is obviously significant, and wherever we find that, we seek to speak truth to that and pull that down. Um, Any other sexual immorality, um, abuse in any way, serious destructive evils that wherever we find that, we seek to see those destroyed and brought down. But I believe unforgiveness is uniquely dangerous because it's so pervasive. Um, and we create all these wonderful reasons and ideas for us to wrongly think we've forgiven when we actually haven't or wrongly think we're perfectly fine in our unforgiveness. Right? We have all these bizarre notions and ideas about forgiveness and unforgiveness that aren't biblical at all. Well, I can't forgive because I don't feel it. Whenever God puts those feelings of forgiveness in my heart, whenever God really moves in my heart to forgive, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it then. But God hasn't, God hasn't put that in my heart yet. I can't help it if God hasn't put it in my heart, right? Or things like, you know, well, time heals all wounds. I'll get over it. Time doesn't heal all wounds. You know what time does to a wound? Calls gangrene. Right? Infection sets in, we have to cut your arm off. Time is not what heals the wound. How you properly treat the wound is what can bring healing. Same thing with forgiveness and unforgiveness. If that is not properly treated, it will bring in spiritual infection in your heart, in your family, and in your church. So what is forgiveness? So we're going to see forgiveness today here in Matthew 18. In in, in the Bible, the word forgive is actually the same word that's used for divorce in ancient writings. The idea is, the thing about divorce, right? You're, You're united to someone in marriage, right? You're linked to them. Divorce is you breaking that link and sending that person away and no longer having that same relationship with them, right? That's divorce and it uses it's very interesting the exact same word to explain forgiveness the idea is when you someone sins against you and you don't forgive them you are chained to them you're chained you're chained to the past you're chained to the pain you're chained to to your regrets you're chained we're going to see today to the devil and you can't get out 
The only thing that breaks that chain is forgiveness. When you forgive that person, break that hold, and send that away, that's forgiveness. And I want you to see, by God's grace today, the unbelievable freedom and joy and life and fulfillment that comes through forgiving someone. It is life changing. So Matthew chapter 18, let's pick it up together in verse 21, all right? Matthew 18, verse 21. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Or your version may say something like 70 times seven. So here's what's going on with that. Um, It was a Jewish belief and custom that you only had to forgive someone three times. If someone sinned against you and you forgave them three times, like they did it and you forgave them. They did it again and you forgave them. And they did it again and you forgave them. Then you, my friend, are officially awesome. Right? Three times. Peter, my boy Peter, man, don't you love Peter? Peter's coming in, like he's sliding. He's like, check this out. Jesus, he's thinking, I'm going to more than double it. What if I forgive my brother who sins against me? Seven times, right? And he's expecting applause. He's expecting angels to break out into choir, singing his praises. And Jesus comes back in verse 22 and says, I say not seven times, but 77 or 70 times seven. He's not saying here that the new number is 490. If you're familiar with biblical numerology, biblical numbers, the word seven is the number of completion. And what he's saying here, it's it's, it's seven times seven times seven times seven times seven. This overflowing, the idea he's trying to get across is there never comes a point in time where you don't forgive. That never happens. So before we even dive into the text or anything that I want to say, this is foundational for everything else. I'm going to go ahead and make you mad right at the beginning because I love you. It is a command of God, an absolute, unequivocal, no, like your name is not a footnote at the bottom of this page. Your situation is not a footnote at the bottom of this page. It is a command of God that his people always forgive every sin committed against them, always, every time, hard stop, end of conversation. Done. And not doing so is now sin on your part. This is an absolute, unequivocal command of God. So, To kind of unpack this a little bit, Jesus tells a story. Pick it up in verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payments to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me, and I will repay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. 
But when that servant went, when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me and I will pay you. But he refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debts. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if... You do not forgive your brother from your heart. So what I want to do going through this passage is I want to kind of work our way back through it. And I want us to grab a few big ideas, some building blocks of forgiveness so we can see how this fits together and how God empowers and commands and leads us to walk in forgiveness. Okay, so big truth number one, the foundational Corner piece for everything this is built on is our forgiveness of others begins with God's forgiveness of us. You forgiving that person begins with God forgiving you. So you see that in the story. This first servant owed, it said, 10,000 talents. Let's unpack that and put it in English. One talent was equal to 20 years' income. And he owed 10,000 of them. He owed the equivalent of 200,000 years of income. I did the math. If you take the average U.S. income times 200,000 years, he owes somewhere around $6 billion dollars. This is not something that he could repay. This is not a debt that he could give back. He was toast. He rightfully owed it, but he could never repay it. So what does he do? He falls down and he pleads, be patient with me and I will repay. So here's the thing. He's lying and he knows it, right? You ever lied to God? It's like, I promise I'll never do that again. Yeah. Roger. So this guy's totally lying, trying to get out of it. I promise, I promise, I promise I'll repay. But look what the king does. This is amazing. You'll see this in verse 27 if you still have the text in front of you. Look at the king's response. Verse 27, And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. The word pity means to have deep compassion, to release, to set someone free. Forgive, we already talked about that, to break those bonds and send away, no longer chained to them again. The whole point of this is the king in this story is to represent God. And the foundational piece, before we get into anything else about one guy forgiving another guy, the very first truth that we're seeing is this man was, run, was greatly 
and astound. I mean, the fact that this king would forgive that kind of debt would have sent ripples through the whole kingdom. I mean, a logical man would think that's crazy town. That you forgive that level of debt. That's the foundation piece for all of it. And the idea behind it is supposed to be that represents God. Brothers and sisters, listen to me. The reason you struggle to forgive that person is not because they're so bad. And the reason you struggle to forgive that person is not because they still think they haven't done anything wrong. And the reason you struggle to forgive that person is not because what they did was so egregious, even though it may be. And we'll talk about that in a moment. The reason you and I struggle to forgive anyone is because on some level we are not understanding and experiencing and soaking our hearts up in God's forgiveness of us. It all begins there. The illustration that I use here all the time is a sponge. All right? How do I describe this? It doesn't matter how hard you squeeze or wrench. You can rip that thing in half. You'll never get one ounce of water to come out of a dry sponge. It can't happen. What do you do? You have to take the sponge, plunge it in water, let all the spores, all the holes in that sponge soak up all the water. Now you're able to take it out and have something to wring. The reason you can't work up forgiveness, you can't make yourself forgive, you can't guilt yourself. As a Christian, we try all kinds of crazy elaborate ways to, to wring water out of the dry sponge of our heart. Wring forgiveness out of the dry sponge of our hearts. You try to work it up. You try to manipulate it. You try to guilt yourself into it. You try to think of all the things. Well, it's going to go bad for me if I don't forgive. Because not forgiving is like me taking poison and hoping that person dies. And so I better forgive. And we'll, again, we'll talk about the consequences that will come to you for unforgiveness. Yes. But listen to me. Step one is you actually having your heart plunged into the forgiveness of God. And soaking up God's unbelievable, crazy, audacious, scandalous, you've got to be kidding me, forgiveness of you. The reason you don't forgive them is because you aren't convinced of how horrifically you sinned against God. And he still forgave you. You maximize their sin and you minimize yours. That's why we don't forgive. We don't Understand the level and unbelievable audacity almost of God to forgive sinners like me and you. So let's take a quick second and, and, and chat about it. All right, let me just give you a few ideas to think through when we think about God's forgiveness of us. All right, just a few verses to think through. Number one, you are already forgiven of every sin you could ever commit, past, present, and future. Every sin's already forgiven. Every one. Even the future sins you haven't thought about committing yet. Because you trust by faith in Jesus, those are forgiven too. Because when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, how many of your sins were future sins? All of them. All of them were. I can't forgive that person. They're probably going to do it again. You mean like you keep doing junk again too? You mean like that? 
You mean like that sin that you've asked for forgiveness for a billion times but still keep doing it? You you mean kind of like that? And what does God do? God forgives. Do you see God's forgiveness of you? Colossians 2.13 And you were dead in your trespasses. You were so toast you weren't even alive. You were dead. But... God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us, what's that word? All our trespasses. There isn't a single sin you've ever committed through faith in Jesus Christ that you're not forgiven of. Not a one. Not a one. All of them. And if God forgives you all your sins, why do we think there are sins we don't have to forgive? Second, You do not have to work for forgiveness, you just accept it. You don't have to work for God's forgiveness, you just accept it. Hebrews 10, 17 and 18. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. We don't have to offer up things in hopes that God will forgive us. We don't have to work ourselves up into forgiveness. We do this so many different ways. We try to make ourselves soak in on the guilt of our sin to prove to God that we're serious about being forgiven. We try to add all of these extra church activities on to us to show God we're serious about forgiveness. You don't have to work for it. You just accept it. It's a free gift of God through faith in Jesus. You don't work for God to forgive you. So question, why do you make people work for your forgiveness? Why do you make them prove to you that they really, 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 really mean it this time? If that's not how God forgives you, why are you pulling that trash on them? That's not the way this works. It's not how forgiveness works. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. You don't prove yourself. You just accept it as a free gift of grace through faith in Jesus. It's given, not earned. Third, how does God forgive us? You are not forgiven based on you, but based on Jesus. God doesn't forgive you because you're awesome. God forgives you because Jesus is awesome. God doesn't forgive you because you've shown yourself worthy. God forgives you because Jesus showed himself worthy and died in your place for your sin. Ephesians 1, 7. In him, Jesus, is who where we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. You are not forgiven based on you. You are forgiven based on Jesus. And likewise, you don't forgive them based on them. You forgive them based on Jesus. Do you see how this works? The reason that we struggle to forgive is because we're focused on the person and what they did or we're focused on us and the hurt that has caused us. And I understand that. They may be horrible. What they did may be horrible. The sin committed against you may legitimately have been horrific. There are people in this room who have been seriously sinned against. I know that. But if you're focusing on them or focusing on you, you will 
never forgive. There'll never come that magic moment. You'll never work it up in your heart. It'll never happen. Ever, ever, ever. Because that's not where your focus is to be. This is why we offer these equipped classes where we want to sit down with you and just pour into you the, the knowledge of who God is, his work, his ways, his character, his nature, what he says is right and wrong and good and bad. We want you to be filled up with the knowledge of God, focusing your heart, your mind, your affections on God because if you look at God and who he is, now you are able to forgive. You look at them, you'll never forgive them. You look at God and his grace and forgiveness on you, now you'll be empowered to forgive. Step one, brothers and sisters. Your forgiveness of them is linked to God's forgiveness of you. But, that brings us to the next thing. Once received from God, forgiveness is to be passed on to others. When you receive God's forgiveness, you are to then pass it on to other people. So when this servant left the king after being forgiven, it says that he meets the second servant that owed him 100 denarii. So let's talk about that for a moment, okay? Um, one denarius equals a day's pay. So this person owed 100 days pay, which a couple of things I want you to think through is not insignificant. I mean, round it up, we're basically talking about one-third of your yearly income. That's a big deal. The point here is not God is saying, what they did to you is no big deal. Just forget it. Just forget it. Why are you freaking out? It's not a big deal. We teach this story sometimes like, oh, the first servant was forgiven a billion dollars, and then he turned around and threw some guy against the wall because he owed him five bucks. No, he owed him a third of his yearly income. If one third of your yearly income went away tomorrow, I'm going to assume that affects some things. Right? It will alter your life significantly. And in the same way, listen, I, have no, I know for a fact, and I'm sure there are many more that I'm not aware of, there are people in this room who have been sinned against in a way where it has legitimately changed the rest of your life. This is not insignificant. This is not a no big deal. This is not why are you freaking out over something small. People have sinned against you in a way that legitimately altered the rest of your life. I believe here what God is showing us in this story of, of this other servant that owes him the 100 denarius is, yeah, people sin against you in big ways. People harm you in significant, life-altering ways. That is true. However, the second thing that I want you to see is this. Even though that 100 denarius is a major debt, it pales in comparison to what the first servant was forgiven of. And that's the point. We're not saying, God is not saying, the word is not saying that what they did against you doesn't matter. What they're saying is this, when you set your heart on God and how much God has forgiven you, you understand that that forgiveness far outweighs anything else that God is asking of you. Again, when your heart is set on that, it changes everything. Everything. Uh, you know, a couple of, verses I want to throw your way that kind of think through this. Ephesians 4.32 
Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Colossians 3.13, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Look at the last two lines in those verses. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive Again, the idea behind this is, as you see God, his glorious and amazing and beautiful grace and mercy and forgiveness and love showered onto you, that is what now comes out. What you soak up will come out. Uh, Amy Carmichael, a uh, phenomenal uh, missionary, said one of my favorite lines about this subject. She said, a, one, a cup of sweet water cannot spill one ounce of bitter. What she means by that is, whatever is in the cup is going to come out. It doesn't matter how much you jostle a cup around. If there's sweet water in there, bitter water will never come out. Right? Like my, my water bottle here. I, I can shake this up all I want to. When I pour it out, coffee is not coming out. Right? Whatever's in there is going to have to come out. And that's the way... The Bible is describing you and I, listen very carefully, with unforgiveness. If bitterness and unforgiveness comes out of you, that is because that's what's in you. That's what's in you. If you cannot forgive, it is an internal issue in you, not an external issue with them. What is inside of you is what will come out. Which is why, again, while we're saying over and over and over and over, set yourself, set yourself in your personal study, in your church involvement, in the opportunities that we provide for you, set yourself to soak up the knowledge of who God is, how glorious and awesome and beautiful and forgiving and gracious He is. Set your heart to this. Let this be your one task in life. You go to work tomorrow because you got to pay bills. But your one thing in life is to seek the knowledge of who God is. You crave that. You love that. You need that. You pursue that. You set everything else aside. You stop spending three and a half hours flipping through Facebook and Instagram. And you get in the word of God. You don't binge Netflix for seven and a half hours. You get in the word of God. Here's why I say all that. The only way that you're going to pour out forgiveness is if you understand the forgiveness that's been poured into you. And you can't do that unless you set your heart and mind and attention and focus to seeking the knowledge of who your great God is. If it's not in, it can't come out. And whatever does come out, rest assured, it came out because it's in there. We have to when our kids were little, we had to say this all the time. They, they stopped saying it now because I don't know if they know better. They just know what's going to happen. They didn't make you mad. They didn't make you mad. Now, what they did may have been wrong. What they did may have been sinful and egregious. But Jesus says himself in the Gospels, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. It came out because it was in there. 
Right? It's like those cheesy 80 horrors movies, right? The babysitter's on the phone with the operator. The operator's like, the killer's inside the house. The call's coming from inside the house. The problem is inside your heart. The killer is coming from inside your heart. That's the issue. If we really soak up who God is, that'll come out. And I want you to see also, again, I need you to see this with the text. Unforgiveness in a Christian, unforgiveness in a church is supposed to shock us and devastate us. Why I say that unforgiveness is the major issue is because we become immune to it. Look at the story. Again, the idea is, so if you go back up in chapter 18, this is the, Jesus uses the word church for the first time. This is the first time Jesus in Matthew 18 uses the word church. So the implication here in Matthew 18 is this is the gathering of the saints. Right? The king is God. These servants are members of the church. They're Christians. And when this one servant who's forgiven so much by the king goes and now holds a grudge and debt against another servant who owes them something, look what it says in verse 31. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. You know what makes me sad? Two things. It makes me sad when there are people in our church who hold unforgiveness towards others. But stick with me. It makes me equally sad when everybody else isn't devastated by it. When you stop being greatly distressed. When it just becomes what we do. And it's just what, I mean, you know, it's just life. It just happens. They were greatly distressed. Unforgiveness in a church should devastate us unforgiveness among brothers and sisters inside the church should devastate us. And when it does it, that's just as much of an indictment on us as it is on them. Why aren't you devastated by it? Probably because there's unforgiveness in your heart too. And you don't want us poking around. Because if you start calling stuff out, now all of a sudden we got verses about planks and eyes. I think the reason we don't de- we're not devastated, the reason we're not greatly distressed about someone else's unforgiveness that you see is because there's unforgiveness in your heart and you're trying to validate that. This isn't right. This isn't godly. This isn't the gospel. And I want you to see as well, unforgiveness results in personal torture and inner torment. There are negative consequences to you coming, to, 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 that come to you walking in unforgiveness. I'll give you just a few just to kind of think through. So you see in the story that the king threw this first servant in jail, right? There's, there, 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 there's bondage, there are issues, there are strife, there are problems that come with unforgiveness. I'll see what the scripture says. One, uh, unforgiveness will cause bitterness to come in and defile many. Hebrews 12, 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God and that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. So think about a root. So in our last house, we bought a house. There was a little tree in the backyard by our patio. 
Uh, but we lived there for 12 years, so over 12 years the tree grew. And as it grew, the roots went up underneath the patio and completely destroyed my patio. Right? And so these roots, they grow underground, they're slow, they're sneaky. And then you walk outside one day and think, oh my goodness, what? my patio's destroyed. Now what do I do? So the way is this describing a root of bitterness that comes, that springs up and defiles many? Listen to me very carefully. When you allow unforgiveness to remain in your heart, it will make those closest to you dirty. It will defile them. It will defile them. It doesn't stay nice and neat. Unforgiveness, it's a pancake, not a waffle, right? You put syrup on a waffle, it stays in this nice little compartment. You put pancake, uh, syrup on a pancake, it goes all over the place and gets in your bacon, which is awesome. But unforgiveness never stays nice and neat. Here's the thing. You never just remain bitter at the person who hurts you. It always spreads. It always spreads. Always. That's why you can be mad at somebody in church. And you sit on that, and you sit on that, and sit on that, and sit on that. Next thing you know, you know what? I don't like that whole, that whole church I think is wrong. Now that I think about it, I think we're going to go to a different church. Well, what happened there? It started just with that person, but now it's the whole crew? What happened there? I don't know. It's like we have a Bible verse. A root of bitterness sprang up and defiled everybody in your mind now. Now everybody's dirty. Everything. Just, just chunk it. We got to go. We got to go. This is what happens when unforgiveness wells up in us. Defiles your family. Listen, think about it. Unforgiveness and bitterness is like the flu. I'm never going to catch the flu from someone who lives in Texas and I never come in contact with. In order to catch the flu, you got to come in close contact with someone. Same with bitterness. Bitterness most affects the people closest to you. It will affect your spouse. It will affect your kids. It will affect your close friends. One of the saddest things to see are children and teenagers and young adults that walk into church clearly and obviously manifesting the bitterness they picked up at home. Like we can see it on your face. It is obvious. You picked that trash up at home and now they come walking around carrying that junk. Breaking off relationships just like you do. What happened there? A root of bitterness sprung up and defiled those closest to you. This has consequences. It affects people. People that you love. Second thing that it will do. Unforgiveness will cause Satan. He'll be given a foothold in your life. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And give no opportunity to the devil. That word opportunity means foothold. Strong place. When you allow anger and unforgiveness to stay and stay and stay and stay and stay. You are literally giving Satan access to an opportunity in your heart. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is encouraging the Corinthian church to forgive someone in the church. That person sinned against you, forgive them. And he says in 2 Corinthians 2, forgive them because we are not ignorant of the schemes of Satan. And we know he's going to use this as an opportunity to get into other people's lives and hearts. 
unforgiveness gives an opportunity for Satan to have a foothold in your life. Also, unforgiveness, you sadden the Holy Spirit and stop him from being able to work in your life. Ephesians 4, 30 and 32. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Verse 31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. 32. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. In Ephesians 4, that's all one paragraph, one flow of thought. And the connection is, you have been broken unforgiving relationships with people in the church specifically. But not just that. Any form of unforgiveness grieves the Holy Spirit, saddens the Holy Spirit, quenches the Holy Spirit. If you're sitting here today and you're thinking, man, I just feel like there's this ceiling in my walk with the Lord, like I just can't grow in the Lord. I feel like I just, I just don't feel the Spirit. I just, I just, it's a struggle. Maybe, Maybe not, but maybe the issue might be unforgiveness. Unforgiveness in your heart grieves the Spirit. And then most importantly of all of that, if you circle back to Matthew 18, verse 35, after he throws the first servant into prison, which is supposed to signify hell, he says in verse 35, so also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The idea he is teaching here is habitual, constant unforgiveness might just be a sign that you're lost and have never been forgiven by God. Again, like we say all the time here, there's a difference between nobody's perfect, so you sin. And then a lifestyle of sin, right? We would say that there's a, a difference between those two. No one's perfect. We all sin, yes. But the difference between that and just, you just keep doing it over and over and over and over and over. Unforgiveness is one of those sins specifically highlighted in that. If you are constantly unforgiving, it might be a sign that you're just lost and have never been forgiven by God. This matters. This actually matters. It's a big deal. But not just the negative. I want want to end today on the positive. What comes as a result of forgiveness? Forgiveness brings the blessings of God. Luke chapter 6, 37 and 38. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. It's this example of, again, you got this bag of stuff, and so you, you fill it all the way to the top. What do you do? Shake it down. You push it down. You press it in. Then you put even more on there. And you shake it and you press it down. You put even more in there. That's the way God is describing his spiritual blessings poured into you as you forgive. 
Unforgiveness locks the door of your heart from God being able to pour in His Spirit. The, the key that unlocks the door, the Spirit of God flowing above measure into your life is forgiveness. This is it. Forgiveness. Will you forgive? And I know with this, this brings so many questions and I know some situations can be difficult and convoluted and have a lot of tentacles and I understand. But if you're saying forgive, does that mean there are no consequences for their actions? No. I'm not saying that at all. There may very well be serious and significant consequences for their actions, both here on earth and before God in heaven. There may absolutely be consequences for that. Yes. I'm not saying that there's not. So when you say forgive, does that mean we got to just go back to a relationship like it always was and pretend like none of that ever happened? I'm not necessarily saying that either. Maybe there are some situations where getting back in to a relationship isn't the wise thing. That may very well easily be true. I don't know. If you're interested, I'd be more than happy to sit with anyone and, and talk through your specific situation and what that looks like and what that means and how you navigate that. I understand it can be very difficult and very convoluted and a lot of different spinning plates. I get all of that. But here's what I want you to understand today. What is not up for debate, what is not up for discussion, what God is not asking a vote on is that you will forgive from your heart. That means this genuine, legitimate, your reason you're able to forgive from your heart is because the forgiveness of God has been poured into your heart. And so you are legitimately forgiving as a child of God has been forgiven. That is not up for debate. That is not a conversation to be had. That is expected and commanded of God. So will you do that? My assumption is if there's someone that you need to forgive, that name has face and face have already flashed in your mind. You already have been thinking. And there may be a lot of emotions and a lot of thoughts that have been welling up in you this whole time. You thought about leaving, but you thought that might look bad, so you stuck around. I want you to hear my heart. God desires to set you free. God desires to set you free. If you have been forgiven that much by God, brothers and sisters, let the forgiveness of God flow out of you. And walk in obedience to what He's called you to do, and that is to forgive others the same way you've been forgiven. Which then brings me to this question. Maybe you've never been forgiven by God. Are you here today? Do you want to be truly and completely and 100% forgiven by God from everything you've ever done in your entire life? Every word, every thought, every deed, every intent, everything. We've already seen it. Through faith in Jesus, He forgives all your sins. Past, present, even future. 
Do you want that kind of forgiveness? Is something welling up in you where you say, I, I need that. I need to be forgiven like that. I need to be set free like that. I need a fresh start like that. I need that kind of forgiveness. Jesus Christ came when he died on the cross, taking your punishment. Forgiveness doesn't mean punishment goes away. Jesus took your punishment. God forgiving you doesn't mean he just wipes your sin away and it's no big deal. No, your sin was punished by Jesus so that you just get forgiveness and grace and mercy and love. Do you want that? Today, right here, right now, today, right now, I want you to pray. God, I need to be forgiven like that. Thank you, Jesus, for going to the cross for my sin. Forgive me. I now live for you. I want you. I want to live for you. I want to be changed by you. I'm yours. I'm going to ask you to bow your head. If that's your desire today, you've never been forgiven by God like that. Today, right where you are, right here, right now, pray that. Call out to God for his forgiveness. And if you have been forgiven, my call for you today, forgive like you've been forgiven. Forgive like you've been forgiven. Set your heart, your mind, your eyes, your thoughts to God. Who he is, how much he's forgiven you. And as you soak up the knowledge of who God is, now you're empowered to bear out the good fruit of obedience and forgiveness in the exact same way. We're going to sing here in a moment. You can sing right where you are. You can come up front and pray. You can grab someone to pray with you. But today... Don't let this fall on deaf ears and don't excuse your way out of this and don't try to think of all the reasons why this doesn't apply to you. Don't believe the lie that you'll do it later. You won't. You won't. Do business with God today. It matters. Jesus, I pray that you would do your work in us. We need you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together.
God, you are, you are our Redeemer, our Savior, the Holy One of Israel. Father, I pray that you would unite these saints in the spirit of the living God and you would cause us to be sanctified by you and you alone. Lord, have your way in our hearts that we might glorify you with every word, every thought, every deed, every action, every desire that we would be different because we have been transformed by the truths of Christ. Lord, we love you and we thank you for these times together. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. God bless you guys. We love you. Have a great week.